growth is hard, but it isn't until we get to the point where the fear of staying the same overwhelms that fear that we have of what it will take to grow and change. I was 32 years old when I realized I was more afraid of heart disease and diabetes than what it would take to prevent or push those things off. You see, I'd been over 300 pounds for a very long time at that point. I was gestationally diabetic with my first and my last pregnancy. The first pregnancy, I was on insulin and ended up preeclamptic, delivering a preemie at 33 weeks and three days. Over the course of the years, I've endured two miscarriages, lots of fertility treatments, and my last pregnancy... Even though I had worked so hard to get that 60 pounds off before I got pregnant, I found myself diabetic again and gaining weight rapidly. I ran a lot before I got pregnant with that third child, so I continued exercising while pregnant with him, and that helped, but so did my diet support for maternal fetal medicine. Now, if you haven't been acquainted with maternal fetal medicine, you probably have had a normal pregnancy or just an uneventful pregnancy. And I saw MFM when I was pregnant with my oldest because of how unhealthy I was. I was making him unhealthy and I was providing an unhealthy growing quarters for my little man. These doctors are there to protect the baby in utero and help the baby grow and outweigh the hostile environment inside versus outside, along with many other things that are super scary. But back with my third child, I found myself back at MFM. This time it was just for gestational diabetes, not preeclampsia. I had to track my food though. I had to prick my finger four times a day, log the sugar numbers, and take a picture of these logs and email them in every Friday. The doctor or his nurse would reply with comments and suggestions, essentially coaching me. There was one time though, I was doing really well, but for some reason, my glucose numbers on the, my glucose numbers kept showing high sugars. The nurse on the phone asked me what I ate. And I said, well, I had a salad with XYZ and I told her the dressing. And the funny thing is, is I can even repeat this story because I can tell you it's the salad at Costco in the black and purple bag. That's the kale with, I think, poppy seed salad with the pumpkin seeds and the craisins. So if you know what I'm talking about, that's the exact salad. And that's how ingrained this story is in me. It set footprints or the um, the pace or the they set the um, foundation for me when it came to nutrition. Because that nurse said to me, Danielle, where was the protein? And at that time, I didn't realize and I didn't know. I just, I didn't know just how important protein was to sustaining my blood sugar levels. After that conversation though, and realizing that a salad doesn't mean healthy, it led me to wondering what else did I believe was healthy, but wasn't. I gave birth to that third child and he was 10 pounds and we both were crazy heavy. And um, I ended up After giving birth, I gained weight and was over 300 pounds again. I had people speaking into my life, and I'm so grateful for the people that God has always surrounded me with from childhood on. I had people speaking into my life, encouraging me to care for myself. I had God nudging me to care for myself and finally break free from the bondage of food, but more so what was underneath the food. So I sought out a licensed Christian therapist who walked me through what was going on within me. The biggest thing I discovered was codependency. And I didn't understand what it was. And I didn't understand how I could be codependent if I didn't grow up in an addicted household. I'm going to read the definition of codependency from Melody Beatty's book, Codependent No More. Codependency underlies all addictions. And side note, for me, it was food. The core symptom of dependency manifests as a reliance on a person, a substance, or a process. 
For example, an activity could be gambling or sex addiction. Instead of having a healthy relationship with yourself, you make something or someone else more important. Over time, your thoughts, feelings, and actions revolve around the other person, activity, or substance, and you increasingly abandon your relationship with yourself. So codependency in my life looked like doing good things to an excess. People-pleasing, no boundaries, not able to say no, overcommitting myself, essentially losing myself in all things. And I never did anything on a small scale, and I really don't still. That's another story. At that point, I knew this, this was time. When I had gone through the therapy and started this work with codependency, I knew this was groundwork for Danielle to change and grow. Not just change, but grow and become a more mature and more free person from this, these addictions, the food and the codependency. What does that look like? Growth from anything looks like these four things. So I'm going to give you four things. If you want to take notes or pause or whatever, that's fine. But four things. The first one is abstinence. And when we're talking about code, I'm going to focus on codependency in these four steps, but apply it to your situation. So the first way to grow from anything, especially codependency is number one, abstinence. When you're over-focused on others or how others are quote unquote, making you feel We slide into codependency when we abstain from allowing people the power over our thoughts, feelings, and actions, we are practicing abstinence. When we learn to focus on ourselves, where we end and another person begins, when we pour into ourselves spiritually by being in the Bible study, you know, personally studying the Bible, when we're with small groups, when we are building the relationships with our spouse or kids and spending quality time building ourselves up in what actually matters, eating healthy, exercising, etc. That is all part of abstinence. When we stay busy caring for our priorities, we have little time to worry about what other, other people think or what they think about us or how we need to manipulate or control others because we know without a doubt we are doing what is important. And this is why I harp on priorities so much. If you follow me on my um, Instagram stories or Facebook stories, you will see me talk about priorities a lot. And you'll see me on Sunday saying, you know, check your calendar, make sure you're actually making time for your priorities. Um, Just so we don't lose ourselves, we can lose ourselves so much in so many good things or good people or whatever you want, what have you, but we can lose ourselves when we don't have this separation or we don't have priorities in line. So the second one, the first what growth looks like first is abstinence. The second thing that growth looks like is awareness. When you think of denial, denial is the hallmark of addiction. I'm a nutrition coach and um, I talk to my clients a lot and I always tell them, I say, awareness is the most basic thing we can do in regards to our food. So knowing what goes in and about how much. So that's why we track our intake. When behaviorally or when we are looking for growth, When we aren't aware, we are easily susceptible to deny our feelings, our needs, our emotional needs for nurturing and real intimacy. You may have grown up in a family where you weren't nurtured. Maybe your opinions and feelings weren't respected. Maybe your emotional needs weren't adequately met. Over time, though, rather than risk rejection or criticism, you probably learned to ignore your needs and feelings and believe that you were wrong. Some people 
decided to become self-sufficient or find comfort in sex, food, drugs, or work. All of this stuff, all of that kind of behavior leads to low self-esteem. To reverse these destructive habits, though, you first must become aware of them. The most damaging obstacle to self-esteem is negative self-talk. Most people aren't aware of our of their internal voices that push. It can be called the pusher. It can be called the perfectionist. It can be called the critic. The first area in where we grow, especially from codependency, looks like abstinence. Secondly, awareness. Thirdly is acceptance. When we are seeking healing, so we've accepted that something's going on. We got something going on. We are trying to stay away from things by honing in our priorities. We're aware of what's going on. We're aware of our emotions and and whatnot and our triggers. Then we accept. Healing in anywhere of our life involves self-acceptance. Self-acceptance is not body positivity. It is not enabling of a behavior that is negative or even positive for that matter. It is simply acknowledging what is real before me. For me specifically, it is a daily chore. And sometimes when I'm having an exceptionally hard day, I must accept who I am at the core. I am a child of God who is imperfect. I have a sin problem and I need redemption that can only come from Jesus Christ. But what's interesting though, as we keep focused on our priorities and and new things may come up, Self-acceptance is a must. We must remember that self-acceptance is acknowledging what is real and then having a plan in place on how to handle these new things that pop up. This is where a licensed counselor really helps. But that leads me into my fourth step of the healing and growth process, and that is action. When you're aware and accepting what is reality, you will be compelled to take action. I like to use the terminology boots hit the ground. Like there's something in you that you can't stop. Like, you know, if you have done all three of those things, if you have become aware and you're accepting what reality is, you don't want to stay there. That's where the whole fear of change is less than the fear of staying the same. Because this involves taking risks and venturing outside your comfort zone. It may involve speaking up or trying something new, going somewhere alone or setting a boundary. It also means setting internal boundaries by keeping commitments to yourself or saying no to your critic or pusher or whatever you want to call it or other old habits that you want to change. Instead of expecting others to meet all of your needs and make you happy, you learn to take actions to meet your own needs and you do things that give you fulfillment and satisfaction in your life. When I admitted I no longer had control over what was going on in my life, food and relationally and other things, I was able to start the long process of healing and making changes in my life that allow me to be an active part of life and not on the sidelines of life. In fact, it allows me to flourish and have a zeal for life and able to pour into others encouragement. You know, that glucose meter still sits on my top left hand desk drawer to this day. It is my reminder. I don't want it to be my reality. So I'm going to do anything and everything I can to focus on my priorities so that glucose meter stays in that drawer. episode, 
please subscribe or download and rate this podcast at five stars. Thank you.